Hello, and welcome to Skilled America, a podcast devoted to the policies, politics, and people driving the discussion on skills in today's economy. I'm your host, Rachel Unruh, Chief of External Affairs at National Skills Coalition. This is Episode 6, Rebuilding the Job Market. With unemployment numbers rising to near record levels as a result of COVID-19, one of our next challenges will lie in creating new jobs and preparing our workforce to fill them. Among the ways we might accomplish such a daunting task is a substantial investment in rebuilding our nation's infrastructure. In 2017, the American Society of Civil Engineers gave the U.S. infrastructure a D-plus grade, indicating its conditions and capacities are at a strong risk of failure. For a clearer perspective on what a significant investment in infrastructure would mean for our economy and what it would need to include to make the biggest impact for the most workers, we sought out voices from both the workforce and legislative sides of the issue. I'm Congressman Stephen Horsford from Nevada's 4th Congressional District. I represent um, half of the state of Nevada, 52,000 square miles from a portion of Las Vegas and North Las Vegas to all of central rural Nevada. Before I came to Congress, I was the CEO of Nevada Partners and the Culinary Academy of Las Vegas, which is the state's largest employment and training agency for workers primarily in the hospitality uh, and service industries. And so I've worked closely over the years um, on workforce and sector skills training and and tried to bring that perspective as a new member to Congress. Nevada, sadly, is the hardest hit state in the country uh, economically from this pandemic. Uh, Every week, um, I host several telephone town halls with my constituents directly to hear their concerns. Every day in those calls and texts and social media and press stories, my constituents share real fears about being able to get by, whether that's fear that they may be evicted from their homes or worry about where their next meal will come from and just the overarching stress about making sure that their children are able to get the educational support that they need. For the folks who are going to be facing this for some time, how are you thinking about keeping them whole in the meantime and addressing those basic needs? We have nearly 17 million Americans who've lost their job and who are now at risk of losing their health insurance. So uh, we've introduced a bill, the Worker Health Coverage Protection Act, which would provide 100% federal funding um, so that people can get COBRA to keep the health plan that they have. This will ensure that they don't have disruption in seeing the doctor that they are used to seeing or having to change networks or having to restart uh, paying deductibles, especially in the middle of a public health crisis. So the focus primarily has been on providing that relief. We need to, as we move forward, start to enact legislation to help on the recovery side. Um, And that's where workforce development and training um, and and other efforts need to be implemented. The only way to get people out of poverty is to connect people to jobs and careers that actually provide wages and benefits for people to thrive, not just survive. That's Mark Kesnick, the president and CEO of the Wisconsin Regional Training Partnership. In affiliation with Big Step, which is the building industry group 
Skilled Trades Employment Program. And together, we form the workforce development um, intermediary that provides recruiting and preparation programs to connect um, talented and skilled um, individuals with careers in the manufacturing and construction industries. And as well, we also operate some targeted workforce programs in other sectors where industry-led, worker-centered, and community-focused. We have a long-standing commitment to diversity and inclusion. It's built right into the DNA of our organization. Some of the jobs that have been lost in the Milwaukee region, uh, those might come back. What's needed right now to keep folks whole until some of those jobs do come back? And then for people who aren't going to be returning to their old jobs um, or who maybe weren't connected to the labor market before the pandemic, what strategies are you thinking about in terms of helping them transition into new industries um, or creating new jobs? Most individuals who are currently laid off that we're speaking to have every intention of returning to their their jobs. And I think that we're going to see a lot of folks who are laid off um, returning to their their places of employment. We've moved to um, virtual career academies where we've moved all of our services, all of the things that we do for employers and for industry partners and for individuals seeking careers. We've begun and pretty successfully moved everything into a technology-based platform where now you can go on our website, you can do an application, you can talk with a case manager, you can enroll in tutoring, you can enroll in some of our credential training. Uh, We're doing recruiting and virtual job fairs online. So even if there is another wave of, of some sort of corona that creates problems, we're positioning ourselves and our industries to continue to recruit, prepare, get the talent they need, um, for, um, for a productive part of the economy. But both Mark and Congressman Horsford agree that it remains to be seen when and how people could return to the workforce. I think the more interesting part of this equation and, and what most economists are telling us right now is that we have no idea what the economic impact of this closure is truly going to be for probably a couple more quarters down the road. So I think what we're seeing now where manufacturing has started to slow and some of those jobs are going to start being laid off is when are those jobs going to come back? When are when is consumer confidence going to rise to the point of being able to uh, engage their purchasing power? And that's really, I think that's really a scarier part of the equation where we're producing products, where we're building buildings. If those things slow down, it's hard to predict when they will come back. We want to reopen, but we need to do so safely. And until we have very robust testing and tracking and tracing uh, approaches in place, not just in Nevada, but across the country, it's going to be very difficult. Here's Congressman Horsford again. To protect workers. And I think that's essential. You know, we need to rethink and reimagine what the workplace is going to look like and make accommodations so that people can be Uh, better off. We can't just reopen and people be put in a condition where they're exposed. We need customers, and in the case of Nevada and Las Vegas, travelers to have confidence that they can get on an airplane or get on a train or get in their car and, and, you know, go to a destination, even if it's to relax. As you're thinking about recovery and transitioning folks back into the workforce, whether it's in Um, new industries or creating new jobs, what strategies are you thinking about? 
Well, one area that people have talked about is infrastructure, an infrastructure bill, um, which could help tremendously, right, in helping to provide a stimulus. But I think that we need to go much bigger than just a, a typical infra infrastructure bill. Um, a lot of times people think of that as just roads and bridges. And really, in my world, it needs to be about um, human infrastructure and what we're doing to ensure that people have the skills that they need for the types of jobs um, and careers and opportunities that will come in the future. Across the country, there are millions of jobs uh, that still remain open and that will become in demand as we reopen because workers simply do not have the opportunities or the skills that they need to develop uh, into those new roles. Uh, currently, our federal policies do not adequately empower workers uh, who are ready to take their career to the next level or to support businesses with filling middle skill job openings. Uh, after working for years to provide job training opportunities in Nevada, I know the importance of giving our nation's workers a fair chance um, to grow their skills and real opportunity uh, to do just that. That's why uh, I've introduced the Skill Up Act back in February so that Congress can begin providing targeted tax incentives to businesses investing in work-based learning for workers most in need of training opportunities. The Skill Up Act is a, is a measure that would provide an additional tax credit of $9,600, which is the maximum under the Work Opportunity Tax Credit Program for employers that hire uh, eligible employees and provide them with relevant training that helps those workers who need the training to progress in the workplace. Uh, we've seen this work very successfully uh, for TANF recipients, for example, temporary assistance for needy families. So many of the people, unfortunately, who are unemployed and dislocated are now eligible for TANF and SNAP benefits. So they're the very people that we need to assess their skills, determine what those skills are. Everyone has skills. We need to match those skills with future career openings and then where there may be gaps, uh, provide training so that people can be prepared uh, for those opportunities. Regardless of whether the economy is high or low, we need to prepare talent for the future. Here's Mark Kesnick of WRTP again. We need to be mindful that we have men and women and non-white dudes that need to participate and access high-skilled jobs, and we need to prepare and have strategies for that. And we need to make sure that, you know, no matter what, we're trying to position our industries to be globally competitive so that no matter technology changes, product changes, ideas, when those things come to market, that we actually have our industries positioned well. When the public dollar is invested in a locality or a community, that is a stimulus to attract private development. When there are investments in roads, water, sewer, IT infrastructure, um, that allows for private business to, to see opportunity to, to grow. So, there, so that alone is a, is a positive piece. But on the workforce development side of this and, and, the, and, the, um, and the job creation side of it, there is no shortage of public infrastructure that needs to be um, uh, addressed. Roads, bridges, sewers, uh, waterways, 
you know, even our IT infrastructure, there is so much work to be done that we don't have to wait to um, create it. It's something that, that Congress can do. It can do quickly. Um, it's, a, it's a big investment. Um, you won't find any argument from anybody who um, sits on the engineering side of the world to say, gee, our roads, bridges, and highways are in great shape. Most people will tell you that um, the United States is far behind um, a lot of other first world countries and, and even developing second world countries. If we're going to move into um, you know, this, this next century successfully and competitively, making those investments is critical. And the best part about that is it creates a lot of really good paying jobs and it creates a lot of opportunity for folks um, who either need to step up in their career or need their first opportunity. What happens if skills training isn't a part of a massive infrastructure and investment? Who gets left out in that scenario? Well, a, a large number of women, people of color, uh, those who quite honestly have been a lot of the essential workers right now, um, or those who were displaced because they were working on the front lines and uh, at the entry level positions, let me put it that way, of a lot of our service sector, hospitality and retail jobs. In Las Vegas, I have to always kind of do the caveat, we're a union city and a union state. And so our jobs are good paying jobs with health benefits, they have pension benefits, they have opportunities for people to get down payment assistance for a, a new home, they have ongoing training benefits, so a cook can come back and upgrade their skills. A guest room attendant can advance into a new position. Those are not opportunities that are made available in every hospitality service sector job in the country. So at a minimum, we need to upgrade those opportunities everywhere. Uh, but even in places like Las Vegas, you've got to have an, a, an opportunity for people to be considered for the new sectors. Healthcare is going to be a burgeoning sector. It has been for a long time. IT is going to continue to be a burgeoning sector. So for those who may get displaced in one sector, how can we assess their skills and help them get matched to those opportunities and not get left behind? If we don't do that, it's going to be women and people of color uh, overwhelmingly who are going to be affected. From where we sit, the industries that we um, work within, no skills, no jobs. We have to be able to, um, when we make these public investments, recognize that if we're going to become a more diverse and inclusive um, economy, and more importantly, and this is true for our contractors and trades, if they want to have a future workforce, you've got to start to invest in the skills that are needed for those individuals to you know, really start and successfully build a career. When it comes to apprenticeship utilization, when it comes to um, setting and really meeting goals around ensuring that we have equity in local hiring and, and, and racial and gender inclusion, when we set those objectives forward, that means that we need to have robust programming that allows us to prepare people for the opportunity. And there needs to be opportunity within those hiring processes to be involved in a, a legitimate standardized um, on the job training 
and the next step being a fully registered apprenticeship program. Those, those pieces are critical to building not only a, a, an inclusive workforce today, but we will not build an inclusive workforce if we don't invest in that as well. So from our perspective, that is the public responsibility. It's not just about bricks and mortar. It's about people. And that's what we're really investing in when we invest in the public infrastructure. If we're going to target this uh, support, we need to do it in areas where there was major displacement and where opportunities were not there for those people to begin with to advance and to grow, not just for a job. I, I'm very clear about this. It's about making sure that they have the opportunities to pursue uh, the careers that help them advance personally and professionally, not just uh, for purposes of meeting the requirements of a job. What types of strategies do you think specifically need to be supported in the job training provisions of an infrastructure package? Um, what kind of supports, what kind of strategies um, do you know need to be a part of that? The reason I like joint labor management partnerships is that it's labor working with the private sector and the community to meet a need. And it's very balanced in that the goals of the training are not just for the employer. They're also about making sure that the worker gets the skills. And in this case, let's talk about the workforce protections, right? There's a lot of questions right now about frontline workers and, and the protections that they have at the workplace. Everything from PPE to making sure that they are getting hazard pay, other elements that they actually should have a voice in. If you're an essential worker, um, then you should be getting an essential level wage to do that job, particularly during a pandemic. That's not the case right now, and we need to change that going forward, especially since these jobs are primarily held by women and, and communities of color. It's not only about job training. It's also about financial uh, literacy. It's about parental engagement and how those uh, people going through training are also getting training on how to work with their children in the school environment. It's about building community development so that the jobs that are being created are being done with employers that actually have a ethic that values the community that they operate in and that are, that are in partnership with that community to meet other societal needs, such as food insecurity or other challenges. Matching individuals with employers is like matching a needle in a haystack. It's really important to have all of the employers and all of those trade partners engaged fully in the opportunity because what career choice someone makes which employer they end up with makes a big difference in terms of someone's success. You know, we need to provide some support services to the individuals who are coming into those programs um, so that they have the boots, they have the tools, they have the um, stipends for some gas cards if they need them, if they have some access to some childcare support if needed. We need to see a more robust um, effort to um, assist those employers who are engaged um, in utilizing apprenticeship in a way that um, allows those apprentices to really get the work and get the related classroom instruction that they need. We absolutely should see um, investments in recruiting and pre-employment training 
um, in preparation for individuals. I think we can work with employers and I think we can work with our labor partners to put together some great onboarding processes and preparatory processes that will um, lead to a productive workforce to build the infrastructure today. And hopefully those same individuals will be the ones who are building the infrastructure that we need five, 10 years down the road. And ultimately, those are the same individuals who will be training the next generation of individuals who come into our industry. Before this pandemic, 53 million workers barely earning enough to survive. That's 44% of the entire American workforce making, on average, the median annual income was $18,000. We need to raise the bar. People need to be paid a livable wage. They need to have op uh, opportunities for career advancement. I call them career ladders. People don't move from one job to their dream job overnight. You've got to move according to opportunities and career classifications. There needs to be a focus on the other benefits that go with a, with a career. That includes health care. That includes retirement. That includes housing. That includes education. And I know that there are a lot of people that are say, that are going to say, well, let's just go back to normal. I don't want us to go back to normal because normal for a lot of people, for those 53 million Americans, was inequitable to begin with. They were already living on the margins. They could barely survive. So why would we want to go back to a place where the, for 44% of the American workforce, it really wasn't a very secure place to be? I'm very uh, pleased that the National Skills Coalition and all of their partners are involved in this dialogue and are going to push leaders like me in Congress and at the state level to not do the bare minimum, to not focus on the status quo, but to really reimagine what it is we can do for the American worker uh, going forward. Thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today. I know you guys are still at it, still trying to help people get the skills they need to get good jobs, but also all the things that you're doing right now to help reimagine a different future. Oh, absolutely. Really, thanks, Rachel and National Skills for, for the platform to, to kind of prophesize on the importance of skills. Thank you, Rachel. Great to be on. Congressman Stephen Horsford represents the 4th District of Nevada in the United States House of Representatives. Before joining Congress, Representative Horsford was CEO of Nevada Partners and the Culinary Academy of Las Vegas, and a member of the National Skills Coalition Board of Directors. Mark Kesnick is the President and CEO of the Wisconsin Regional Training Partnership, in affiliation with the Building Industry Group Skilled Trade and Employment Program, or Big Step, a workforce development intermediary providing recruiting and preparation programs in a number of in-demand industries. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. On our next episode, we'll touch on another job creation effort to train and deploy contact tracers in our country's continued effort to control the pandemic and what it means for the future of workforce development. We hope you'll join us. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Jimmy D'Onofrio with help from Katie Spiker. I'm Rachel Unruh. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time for another in-depth look at Skilled America.